Welcome to another powerful message from One Life OK. We really hope you enjoy it. Whenever I was sitting over there, it was funny that they started singing about reverence because, and this is a side note, this doesn't have anything to do with what I'm preaching about. But he told me that the New Testament church would be would be good to get to know the Old Testament God. That that there there's there's become a sense of um a lack of appreciation for what Jesus actually did. There's there's you know it's kind of like something can become so familiar that you kind of forget. And so <clears throat> I think whenever you study the Old Testament and you learn what God is like, what he's actually like, but then Jesus made the way for us to live under a grace canopy. But, you know, I think that God had pretty, he had standards, right? He had standards, but it's almost like we get nervous about those standards now, (laughs) you know, and and I think it would really do us good to get to know what he was like in the Old Testament, because I think that would give us a whole new appreciation for Jesus. And, you know, I, and I don't, I know personally for me, and I know I've talked to other people, but I, I struggled before my relationship was really solid with him as my father. I struggled reading the Old Testament because it was kind of like I was trying to establish him as his good father. And then that was kind of something that felt almost opposite to me. And I think once that got solidified in me, his good fatherhood, then it actually became real to me what, what it really meant. And, you know, I think that um, if we look at the Old Testament through fear or, or a lens of maybe not understanding him, I think that's just a sign that he wants to heal us some more versus stay away from it. Because I think we do that. I think we stay away from it because we get afraid that we don't know how to reconcile how we call him daddy and father and all this, but then there's also this side of him. And you need to know that side of him to understand what grace it is that we get to live under this time. So that was just free. That doesn't have anything to do with what I'm going to talk about. Well, I'm going to talk about a cool guy in the Bible tonight, today. This isn't tonight, this is today. His name is Zerubbabel. Oh, Zerubbabel. We'll call him... I was going to call him Zerub, but then I kind of wanted to call him Bubba, but I'll just probably... I'll go with Zerub. He was... He was a really interesting, um, an interesting guy. Does everybody know who he is? So Zerubbabel, he was put in charge of rebuilding the temple 
for God. And and what was really what's really interesting, just a little bit of history about him. So, um, you know, God had kind of gotten a little bit angry with the Jews because they were disobedient and, you know, they were kind of like us anyway. They were disobedient and they were kind of a rebellious lot sometimes. And so basically there was a king named King Nebuchadnezzar that he, God actually used him to kind of punish the Jews for their waywardness. And so King Nebuchadnezzar, he actually took all the Jews into exile in Babylon. And so there they were without their temple, a people that were in a strange land and no way to to go and worship God. See, a temple back then is not like what it is now. I mean, we know that, right? We know that a temple meant that that's where God was going to come and his presence was going to rest. That's where they that's where they met with him. That's where they had communion with him. That's where they got to experience him. And so it the Jews were a people that were outside of that place with him. And so to have a temple was a big deal. It wasn't just like a church to go sit at. In which, you know, living in Oklahoma in the Bible Belt, there is a church on every corner. Unless, I will have you know, we live on off of Western. And I think in just probably a mile radius, there's like six churches on Western. That's a lot of churches. So temple wasn't like that, though. The temple was, it was, it was a really holy, holy place. And so while they were in exile, King Cyrus was on the throne. Love King Cyrus. And I love that, that President Trump, we've talked a lot about it, um, that he was likened to King Cyrus. And so I think it's really interesting that God brought me to Zerubbabel because actually we're really tracking with the Bible and where we are in the history. And so, and so this, this word I'm going to give, it feels like there's many different layers because of course the rebuilding of the temple also is considered us, our temple, rebuilding our temple. But then the broader perspective in which is one arena that I feel like he wants for me to talk about today is the church body and the church body in the good old U S of a. And so, So, um, where'd I, where'd I stop? Cyrus, thank you. So Cyrus was a really, really cool king. So he actually got a word from the Lord by the prophet Jeremiah. And Jeremiah told him that, that the Jewish people needed a temple. And so King Cyrus, he said, okay, I'm going to make that happen, which is really, really cool because they were still in exile didn't have anything so i hope that y'all had a snack because we may be here till about three o'clock because i have i have a lot of scripture and so i hope y'all are prepared because you may need a snack but i want to read a little bit about um about king cyrus and what he had to say because if you look at where we are as a nation how god had given us god had given us a president that really had this kind of mindset. So this is what he said. <clears throat> it says, Thus says Cyrus king, of, Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me 
to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is Judah. Whoever there is among you, all of his people, may his God be with him. Let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is God who is in Jerusalem. In any place where a survivor, a Jewish exile, may live, let the men, Gentiles of that place, support him with silver and gold, with goods and cattle, together with free will offerings for the house of God in Jerusalem. So not only did King Cyrus say, okay, I want to let you guys go back and build a temple, but then he said, I'm going to take it a step further and I'm going to fund the quest. And so what was re- what's really interesting and just kind of comparing King Cyrus to where we were as a nation with President Trump. President Trump was really a man that was able to see clearly where the government structure was leading religion, Christians, whatever, that, that there was that there was actually a, a time of oppression that the church had been experiencing. Now, I understand it's really small compared to where other places are. I get it. I know other other places people are dying for their faith. It's, it's right. That's that's going down. However, in America, and we're experiencing it probably now, even before before President Trump. But President Trump was able to see how the government was trying to take over and gain control over places where they shouldn't have control. And so he he knew in his heart that in order for Christians to really thrive, there needed to be less government, obviously. And so he had really spent time while he was in office working to get the Christians to come up higher in the way that they were approaching government and what all was going on. Because, see, he knew. And he he even, uh, there's some different um, things that I've read, and I think Lance has talked about it where he actually, he talked to a group of Christians and he said, you know, y'all are really weak at knowing how to assimilate yourselves and, and move forward with the plan and with the purpose. And so he was actually trying to equip the church knowing how to kind of com- combat what was going on within the governmental system. And so he, he obviously... Um, he was really big into giving churches special treatment. You know, the IRS, I don't, and y'all may not know all this, but, you know, there was a lot going on where the IRS was wanting to take away different uh, religious uh, donations and things like that. And so Trump actually came in and he uh, stepped in and said, no, that cannot be. So I'm going to reinstate what was taken from them. And I'm going to make it a law that that cannot be taken again. So that was really, really awesome that he did that. And so he really carried that that passion and that and that anointing to be able to see the Christians and government and to be able to draw a line in between. And so I love that. I love I love this about King Cyrus because. You know, I think whenever a person really gets a heart for what God says, they put all they have into it, right? And so he did that. He, he not only did he say, I want you to go do that, but he set them up really, really well. And 
isn't that the goodness of God that whenever, you know, we mess up, you know, we mess up and we're kind of not real bright and we get ourselves into trouble and he's like, listen, it's okay. I'm going to free you and then I'm going to set you up with people and I'm going to be gracious and I'm going to be good to you and I'm going to give you more than what you had. That sounds like our God, doesn't it? That's who he is. So um, one other thing that Cyrus, um, I'm not going to read it, but one other thing that King Cyrus uh, demanded be let go was all of the holy articles of the temple. So that was things like plates and all kinds of stuff. So he, one other thing, whenever King Nebuchadnezzar actually, um, whenever he took all of the goods they put all of God's article, holy articles in a holding place that was for his gods, was for Nebuchadnezzar's gods. And so one thing, whenever King Cyrus demanded that all of the holy articles be removed, it was actually saying that these items are not under the God, this God, it is going to be presented back to the holy God of, of Jerusalem. So he was reinstating what was taken away and what one system tried to do, one system tried to say, well, this is actually going to be served under this other God. And he said, no, it's not. I'm demanding that this goes back to be with your God in Jerusalem where it should be. So thank you for that. Um, <clears throat> I'm reading out of Ezra 2 right now. I didn't say that earlier, but um, if you care to, if you care to follow, but um in uh, there's another passage of scripture that says some of the heads of the fathers and this is we're talking about whenever king cyrus gave the decree after this where he said you're going to get all these things and they're going to even give you stuff for you to to sacrifice and offer up burnt offerings in so then the next passage it says some of the heads of the father's households or extended families when they arrived at the house of the lord in jerusalem made voluntary contributions for the house of God to re to be rebuilt on its old foundation. I want to park there for a second because, you know, sometimes, and, and I think this has really happened in our nation, actually, that sometimes we cannot see what God is wanting to do because we're still holding on to what God, what God was doing. And I think with our nation and and the um, different degrees that we've gone, a lot of the Christian people could not get behind President Trump because they couldn't let go of what they thought it should look like. And see, it, it's really interesting because I think even in our own hearts, we have to be really careful that we don't miss what God is doing because we want it to come a way that he used to do it. And, and it's really big because we because we won't see we won't see his hand in operation. We won't see where he's moving because we're waiting for it to look like it used to look. And I think what was really interesting in that passage I just read that they made a contribution according to what they thought. And so how often, do we offer contributions if we have strings attached? 
well, I'll be good to this person as long as they, whatever, don't do that. I'll, I'll, I'll spend some time with this person as long as they hear me and they adhere to my counsel. I'll do this thing as long as I get this thing. So I think it's just good to check yourself. Are there places in me that that I want, that I will give, but I'm expecting something else to come back in return? Because then it's not really giving, is it? So after after King Cyrus says, okay, here, I'm gonna I'm gonna release you to go to go rebuild the temple. Then the temple restoration begins. And, and this is where it gets really cool because um, it, gets a, it gets a little bit hairy here. We'll read about it. And, um, in Ezra 3.10, it says, Now when the builders had laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with their symbols to praise the Lord in accordance with the directions of David, king of Israel. They sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his loving kindness and mercy toward Israel endures forever. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. You would think that was good, right? Hold on, pause. Here we go. But many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' households, the old men who had been the first, who had seen the first house or temple, wept with a loud voice when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes. While many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the shout of joy from the sound of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the sound was heard far away. Okay, now let's get this, let's get this into a picture, okay? So you've been in exile. You haven't been able to worship. Haven't had a place to go to. You've had a king so graciously give you freedom and supply everything that you had need of. And you would you would have this heart of gratitude, right? That's what you would think. You'd have this overwhelming heart of gratitude. And so then you finally see the thing that you've hoped for for so long. You finally see the foundations of the temple being built. It's there. You can see it. And all of a sudden, you have the old timers stuck back here. They couldn't see what God was doing because they judged what it, what it used to be. And I want to propose to you that, that that's actually what's going on in our nation right now. And it goes on in our personal lives. That, that God begins to do a work 
and we don't have value for it and we don't appreciate it. And then we cry because it wasn't what we felt like it should be. And, and I'm just saying as and I and I may not be necessarily talking so much to us right now, but maybe talking about the, the church of the U.S. of A., I think that God was actually building something in our nation. And the Christian community couldn't get behind it because it came in a package that they didn't like and it didn't look like what they expected. And, and I'm just saying that, that it's really important that we're able to look at history and see how history repeats itself. Because if we don't see that it repeats itself, then we make the same mistakes, which is why I started out by saying it would be good to know the God of the Old Testament because they, they show a history of a people that we do the same things in this, in this generation now. So, so it's a really big deal because my, my heart is, is still grieved over what I feel like God had really started doing in our nation and believers didn't get behind it and they cursed on it. And it, it, that grieves my heart. You know, that's, I still know that God is able to work all things and he's able to do all that. But I'm saying that, that the church missed an opportunity to get behind a man that would have done a lot more. And so, you know, it, it, you know, it, it's, it's really sad because I think if we don't understand the sign of the times, if we don't understand what's going on, then we will make the same mistakes that our sisters and nephews, the Jews, did. So in your own heart, you know, it's just really good to check yourself. Are you able to see what God is doing and get behind it? Or do you compare it to what you think it should have been? Or do you look at an outward appearance and say, oh, like how, hold on a second. How in the world could they have been able to even see what that temple was going to look like by just the little, by just the foundation? Like you don't know how tall that thing's going to be, right? It was their, it was their judgment that they felt like that they were right on what was even going to happen. And so do we have that in our own personal lives? So I'm thinking about I'm thinking about Zerubbabel in all of this because unfortunately Zerubbabel um, he wasn't being a really great leader at this time. You know, as a builder, which is this is one of the the premises of today that that we're that we are builders. That that in in this whole temple building, that there's basically three people that I'm going to, that I'm approaching. We've got the builders, we've got the priests, we've got the worshipers. So another person that was put in charge of the temple building was Joshua, and Joshua was the the high priest. And so if if us as a people group, we don't know what our roles are being priest unto the Lord, 
ministering to the Lord. If, if we don't know what our place is in being worshipers, then we're going to miss out on the assignment and the role of the church. And so, so unfortunately, Zerubbabel wasn't actually doing his, his job. And I, one thing I didn't mention was that he was actually from, he was, was from the Davidic line. So he came from the um, lineage of David. So he was a worshiper. That was, that was in his bones. He was a worshiper. And so, unfortunately, during that time, you know, I'm sure that was probably pretty weighty on Zerubbabel that here, you know, you've been with these people and whenever they were in exile, he was actually, he wasn't, um, he was the, what was he? I forgot. He was, he was a prince. He was the prince. He was the prince of Judah while he was in exile. So this is a man that he knows what it's like to, um, you know, come from a place of being in exile. He's been charged to do this thing with the Jews and and really lead them in. And then they're all complaining and bickering and fighting amongst themselves. Does anybody know anything about that? But we're not like that, right? But so, unfortunately, during that time, Zerubbabel didn't see his greatest days. And so, as I'm going to go over the, in order to build... These are the things that Zerubbabel and the people had to learn how to overcome. And these are the things that you're going to have to learn to overcome, to build. And so each person has something that they're called to build. It may be, you know, maybe it's people. Maybe it's a, um, I don't know, a people group, you know, or maybe it's something that you see that, that the world is needing, then, you know, God's put it in you to build. And so then there's these certain things that we're going to have to learn how to combat in order to be good builders. And so Zerubbabel, I'm sure he was having some growing pains. And so um, this, I'm going to go to Ezra 4.2. It says, they came to Zerubbabel, who was now governor, and to the heads of the father's households and said to them, let us build with you. I'm sorry, hold on. I didn't give any context in this. This was actually, so once the temple was on its way and it was going, then the Samaritans were the um, haters of the Jews. They didn't like them. They didn't want anything to do with them. And so they wanted to make sure that they did not build a temple where they were. So they gave everything that they had to make sure that they quit building. So it says, um, this is the good Samaritan, not the good Samaritan. They're not the good Samaritan, the Samaritans. It says, they came to Zerubbabel, who was now governor, and to the heads of the fathers, households, and said to them, let us build with you, for we seek your God and worship just as you do. And we have sacrificed him to him since the days of that person right there, Esharhadon. Pammy, what is that? king of Assyria, we'll just go with that, who brought us up here. But Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the heads of fathers, households of Israel said to them, you have nothing in common with us in building a house to our God, but we ourselves will together build to the Lord God of Israel, just as King Cyrus, the king of Persia has commanded us. So they started out really good, didn't they? 
They started out so that so they tried to come in with some manipulation and with some being, you know, flattering and and trying to kind of infiltrate what the Jews were doing. So that was that was their first line of offense. They said, "Okay, here we're going to try and get in and we're going to try and manipulate you and see if we can get in there to to cause some disruption." How many of you know that whenever you are building something with God, you have to be really careful on the things that you allow to infiltrate your belief systems? Because that can really, really um, hurt what God is building through you. They started out really good, though. Great start. Perfect. They were able to see it. They're like, "Uh uh-uh. No, we don't. We see you. We don't need what you have. We don't need that. We're good. Right. So then you would have thought, oh, the Samaritans, they were done. Right. Because that's the enemy. Right. He just goes like run around and then he's done. Right. Okay. well, let's move on, shall we? So that didn't work. So now we're going to use some fear. Here we go. Then the Samaritans and others of the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and frightened them to deter them from building and hired advisors to work against them to frustrate their plans during the entire time that Cyrus, king of Persia, reigned. And this lasted even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. If we don't deal with fear, we will never be able to build. We have got to deal with the fear in our life that keep us from moving forward. So, so remember, we get to see in it, we, these people lived this. Right? We're just reading it. We're just reading it on the pages. But think of the, these people lived it. So we get to see. Okay, well, we look from afar. God had told them to build something really massive, and this is the things that they encountered. And so these are the same things that you have got to learn to overcome because you're encountering them now. And so what's really, what's really crazy to me is that that worked for them. Fear. Fear worked. Unfortunately. Fear worked. How often does fear work on you? It was really good because I was talking to Teresa. I had been having a personal struggle with something and, and it was um it was really rooted in a lot of fear. And she um I listened to that message from Chris. I don't know if y'all listened to it or not, but it's about courage. I would really, really recommend that was an excellent, excellent, excellent sermon because you know, it really does challenge you that in order to ever really do what God has called you to do, you're going to have to have a lot of courage. And, you know, only those that aren't doing anything. If you're not going to do anything, you don't need courage. But say to yourself, I'm a builder. I build. And so I have to get over my fears. Fear doesn't mean that you're not going to feel it. That's not what it means. It means whenever you feel fear, is that the thing that determines how far you'll go? Do you stop at your fear? Do you stop at your fear? 
Because if you stop at your fear, then fear is what you worship. Then that, that's the thing that gets our worship. You know, and we all have it. You know, it's not like, it's not like this isn't, you know, saying something bad about anybody. This is just the reality that there are all different places of comfortability that we're going to have to be okay with moving past if we want to do what God has called us to do. And God has called us to build. As a house, he's called us to build, but individually, he's called you to build something. You're to build something. Because the kingdom is advancing. The kingdom is not sitting still. The kingdom is moving and it's growing and it is taking ground. And you're either taking it or you're not. And I would say if you're not, it's because you're in fear. And see, that's the problem with our nation is that the church quit advancing. And guess what? The enemy didn't. He didn't quit advancing. And, and this is just the cold, hard reality of it. That the church, if the church doesn't mature, the enemy is going to keep advancing. That's the cold, hard truth. More babies will be murdered through abortion. And so we, we owe it. We owe it to Jesus. We owe it to God to learn how to overcome stinking fear. We owe it to them. We owe it to our neighbors. We owe it to our nation that we learn to personally overcome our own fears. And so in... In Ezra 4.12, it says, Let it be known to the king that the Jews who came up from you came up from you, have come to us at Jerusalem. They are rebuilding this rebellious and evil city and are finishing its walls and repairing the foundations. So see, what they did was since they couldn't get to the Jews, um, you know, by, by all their tactics, they, they still hadn't got them to quit quite yet. So then they go this other round. They're like, okay, well, we're going to go to this king And we're going to use him to get to the Jews. We're going to use him. And so these are the different things that they used on him and got him to got him to succumb to their pressure. It's uh, it's the first sentence I just read you. And it says, now let it be known to the king that if that city is rebuilt and the walls are finished, then they will not pay tax, custom or toll and the revenue of the kings will be diminished. So, lies, lies. They got a little bit of lies going on. They have some accusations. They're gonna have some slander. How many? How many of us are really comfortable with slander? To be good builders, you're gonna have to be okay with slander. People are gonna lie about you. People are gonna accuse you. This is so encouraging, isn't it? This is an encouraging message. Look to your neighbor and say, be encouraged. Be encouraged. So it says, in order that a ser- it says, now because we are in the service of the palace and it is not proper for us to witness the king's dishonor. See, they're making about the king now. 
Oh, it's about the king's dishonor. For that reason, we have sent word and informed the king. They have done this really great thing for the king. Isn't that nice of them? Isn't that sweet? That's so sweet. In order that a search may be made in the record books of your fathers, and you will discover in the record books and learn that this is a rebellious city, damaging to kings and provinces, and that in the past they have incited rebellion within it. That is why that city was laid waste. We are informing the king that if that city is rebuilt and its walls is finished, it will mean that you will have no possession in the province west of the Euphrates River. The enemy won't stop. He doesn't stop. He doesn't stop. He's going he's gonna to go ahead and he's going to up the ante and he's going to use their past against them. How many times has that happened to you? Does your past get used against you? Does that cause you to quit building? What happens when your past gets thrown back in your face? You got to learn how to overcome your past. I loved, uh, Teresa had mentioned it, you know, but basically... You know, the, the season just coming to an end that, that, we, that we keep making allowance for staying in the pain of our past. And see, if we don't learn how to overcome it, that will be a stumbling block that will keep you from building. See, because the enemy knows, listen, he's been around for a really long time, and he knows how to get us to stop and sit down get sidetracked and you've got to be able to overcome it. And I'm just saying where God, what God is doing on the earth, it's going to require a people that will move past themselves and see that that's where the church as a whole has really gotten stumped is in immaturity that, that we, that we received Jesus, but then we got stuck. And so that's why the enemy has been able to plunder. Because we haven't taught how to overcome. And see, in this house, we have been taught how to overcome. And so now it's just about the overcoming. And of course, not not saying that we're not better, but there is a place that God is asking us to come up higher in. And whenever Shudi and I were in the prayer, in the um, green room, um. I just had an encounter and he gave me a word that I'm going to read at the end. And, you know, I could really feel his heart aching. I could feel his heart aching. This ache, this ache, this ache, this ache for this church to open up her eyes, for this church to wake up, for the church to really be what he called her to be. And so I'm just telling you, in order to be it, there's these things that you're going to have to be able to deal with in your life. And if there's any point that you decide to stop because you're uncomfortable, that's the time the enemy gains more ground.
the ache, the ache, the ache, and the cry of God is for his church to just believe what he actually said and to step into a place of power. But fear and intimidation and, you know, you look at it. It is running rampant right now. I won't mention any names, but there's somebody that goes to church here that they work at a place that owns a business. And the people of Black Lives Matter just had to start saying something. And the next thing you know, they're coughing up money. Like there is just so much pressure that if you're not doing something that the mainstream people feel like you need to do, then there's all this pressure that you have to succumb to it. And I'm just saying it's only going to get greater. The pressure out there is only going to grow. It's going to grow. And so then what if, if we're into, if we're in our inner man, we're not getting stronger then we're not going to be able to go out there and fight and build. And the kingdom wants to take it and take it by force. But, but we sometimes want to sit back and think it's just going to come to us. And then if we encounter any kind of anything negative, then we're too weak and we're just going to sit down. And that, okay, that was just, that was it. That was, ah, oh, I don't need any more of that. And listen, there is an enemy out there that knows how to rally, and he is rallying. While the church sits down in sackcloth and ashes going over their past or whatever. So they quit building the temple. They're done with that. We can have no more of that. That is too much. The king said nope, so we're going to say okay. Feels a little bit heavy in here. Feels a little bit thick in here. King says no. So never mind that they got a word from God. King said no. It's okay. We'll quit. And you know what they do during that time? I would love to say that they all sit there and they got right with God. And they're like, listen, hey, all of y'all, listen, y'all did not do that good. This is not the way we should be doing this. Listen, come together, everybody. Come on, let's do this. That's not what they did. Unfortunately, what they did was they decided to build some really nice houses for themselves and get really comfortable. So we're going to let we're going to let the foundation of the temple go unfinished and we're just going to go build something beautiful for ourselves. Because fear, intimidation, slander, it all worked. So we're just going to go build for ourselves. I propose, look at the church today. She got real comfortable. We're going to just sit in here and we're going to just chill and we're going to have all these nice things. We're not going to get involved in all that because that's, that's a little messy. That's too much. But... But there's a but. 
Okay, there's a butt. There's a butt. There's a butt. Look at your neighbor. Say, here's a butt. Here's a butt. So this is really exciting. This is the exciting part. This is Zerubbabel's time to shine. This is when he gets himself out of his slumber. He's like, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I don't need a nice house. I don't need it. So then some prophets come. Thank you, God, for the prophets. The prophets come, and they're like, hey, listen, 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 listen. Here, let's read it, shall we? I'm going to be in Haggai. Did you know that there's numerous ways to say Haggai? Because I used to always think it was Haggai, and then there's some that say Haggai, and then there's there's another one that they say too. Anyway. Do you all have the patience to read some scripture? For a second. Okay, because see, I can say it, but then whenever the word says it, it's just better than if I say it. So let me just read what it says, okay? It says, in the second year of Darius, the king of Persia, on the first day of the sixth month, which is August 29th, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not come that the Lord's house temple should be rebuilt. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, saying, is it time for you yourselves to live in your expensive paneled houses while the house of the Lord lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways and thoughtfully reflect on your conduct. You have planted much but you harvest little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you do not have enough to be intoxicated. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm enough. And he who earns wages earns them just to put them in a bag with holes in it because God has withheld his blessing. So it goes again. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways and thoughtfully reflect on your conduct. I'm thinking if he says it not once but twice, it's time to do that. Go up to the hill country, bring lumber and rebuild my house that I may be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord, accepting it as done for my glory. You look for much, but it comes to little. And even when you bring that home, I blow it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house, which lies in ruins, while each of you runs to his own house, eager to enjoy it. Therefore, because of you, that is your sin and your disobedience, the heavens withhold the dew and the earth withholds its produce. I called for a drought on the land and the hill country on the grain, on the new wine, on the oil, on what the ground produces, on men, on cattle, on all labor of your hands. Then Zerubbabel, Say, then Zerubbabel, the son, the jo- and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people who had returned from exile, listened carefully and obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, since the Lord their God had sent him. And the people reverently feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, spoke the Lord's message to the people, saying, I am with you, declares the Lord. 
So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of his name. We'll say Shia, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. And then on September 21st, in the second year of Darius the king. I propose that's that's where we are. Now, sure, we live in we live in we live in the New Testament. God isn't doing all that to us right now. He is He is faithfully watching over and looking after. And he keeps calling to his bride. He's talking to her. He's calling to her. So that's beautiful. But see, I think the key was that they turned and they saw and they repented. And I think that's really where we are in America. I think, the, I think in our own personal lives that there are things that we do need to get right. But then as a nation, praying for God to draw us to repentance. Because, see, I, I think what has happened, unfortunately, is that we have built great things for ourselves. But the house of God didn't advance. I know this may be heavy, and I apologize. No, I don't. I'm sorry. I don't. I don't actually apologize. I don't. This is what he wanted me to say. And so, you know, my my cry for us all is that we learn to overcome these things that we know are going to be a stumbling block for us, and that we build. that we build his house, that we build his people. And, you know, that, that we really position ourselves to pray for our country because it needs prayers desperately. You know, the, the church in America isn't winning. And so we are the sum of the whole. And so my prayer is that we really begin to take it seriously and that we don't go in neutral. Because I can promise the enemy is not in neutral. And what does it take for you to go in neutral? What does it take you to sit down and quit. Does somebody give you a dirty look? Is that what makes you sit down? We just got to toughen up. We got to toughen up. You know, it's crazy and if you if you care to read, you know, the temple got built, but if you read in Nehemiah, they had nonstop, just junk all the time. 
all the time junk. Come off the wall. Hey, you don't need to be doing that. Hey, you know, you've got that now. To get that thing erected, it took a lot. And it took people that had an all-awakening time that said, okay, I've got to get things in order. And that's where we are. You know, it's really interesting is at the end, at the end of it, and and I'll go ahead and read it. In Ezra 6, 8 through 12, it says, Also, I issue a decree as to what you are to do with the Jewish, the Jewish elders of the rebuilding of the house of God. So what had happened was the Samaritans, the same people that had stopped the process before, they came back around again and they're like, hey, so this is this thing that's going down and this isn't okay. And, you know, they're trying to use the same tactics that they did on the other king, but this time it didn't work. And so they, he actually said that um, the king, this was the king's response to whenever they tried to get them to stop again, that he said, I also issue a decree as to what you are to do with these Jewish elders for the rebuilding of this house of God. The full cost is to be paid to these people from the royal treasury out of the taxes of the provinces west of the river and that without delay, whatever is needed, including young bulls, rams, lambs for burnt offerings to the God of heaven, wheat, all kinds of stuff. So not only did they pay for it, but then they gave them the things that they would need to offer sacrifices to God. And it said um, that um, he wanted to be able to give what they needed to be able to offer up their daily, their daily sacrifices. And it said, so that they may offer pleasing, sweet-smelling sacrifices to the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and his sons. I have also issued a decree that if there is any man who violates this edict, a beam of limber shall be pulled from his house and set up, then he shall be impaled on it. That, that was serious. And his house shall be turned into a refuse heap for this violation. May the God who has caused his name to dwell there overthrow any king or people who attempts to alter this command so as to destroy the house of God in Jerusalem. I, Darius, have issued this decree. Let it be carried out quickly and with due diligence. So God, in his goodness, you got one king that did this, that did the, yeah, you can't do it. Then you turn around and he gives another king. They just had to turn. They just had to repent. And this other king that sets them up and not only sets them up, but protects them. See, that's the goodness of God. So that, that's him in action. It just takes just a people group that says, yes, I, I am going to do this thing with you and I'm not going to succumb to all of the tools of the enemy and I'm going to build with you. And he is the one that provides. He's the one that does it. It's him. It's all about him. I'm getting ready to close. And um, I just want, there's two other things. I think it's really important because um, it, you know, in, in this place of building with God, then this is what he told Zerubbabel, and this is what he says to us as well. He said, this is God's message to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by my power, 
nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. You will succeed because of my spirit. Though you are weak and few, therefore no mountain, however high, can stand before Zerubbabel, for it will flatten out before him. And Zerubbabel will finish building this temple with mighty shouts of thanksgiving for God's mercy, declaring that all was done by grace alone. Mm -hmm. So not by might, not by power, but let God do the work in us and through us. If you will just close your eyes, I'm going to read this. Just sit back and close your eyes. I'm going to read just a word that he had. He said, where are my builders and worshipers? Where, oh, where are they? I'm calling out to my priests, worshipers, and builders. I need you to take your place. I need you to pick yourself up and shake off the dust. I need you to overcome. I am your ever-present help, and that is enough. I need you to wake yourself up. I need you to look around and see what complacency has done. I have called you to set a standard. I have called you to establish and tear down. I'm needing you to move past trying to do that in your own soul and do it for me and through me. For those that can't do it for themselves, I'm calling out to you builders. I'm calling out to you priests. I'm calling out to you worshipers. I'm calling for you to take your positions now. The world needs you in your positions now. Can you feel my heart ache? Can you hear me crying out to the Father on your behalf? I'm calling that my bride will look like the three-in-one. She, she must take responsibility for where she is. She must see what her place is in this time. I need her to wake up. I'm calling out to the lovers, and I'm asking for you to wake up the sleeping ones. I'm asking for you to take your fiery passion and ignite the sleeping ones. Don't find yourself sleeping, but find yourself waking up the sleeping ones. I need you to pay attention to my voice. I need you to pay attention. I need you to pay more attention to the important things in life, not the things that are going to burn up. I need you to learn to focus on my voice. I need you to see as I see. This is free for all. It's not a select few. I grant eyesight to the blind. Are you the blind? Are you overcome by the things of this world? Come and let me heal your eyes. Come and let me touch you with myself. I have what you need if you will just come to me. Don't get tripped up by thinking you don't have a place. Move past the childish things and grow into the deeper things. Will you answer the call of the wild? 
the call where it may seem like there's nothing stable. It may feel like you're out in the unknown, but I'll be with you. Come and light your torch in me and light my other holy lovers. Awaken your heart today. So God, I pray over us today. God, I ask that you would wake up your holy lovers, that you would wake up your people. I'm asking that you would wake us up, that we wouldn't get tripped up by the same things the enemy has been doing for centuries. For centuries, God, help us not get tripped up. Help us to overcome. Help us, oh God. I hear the cry of your heart. And I say, oh God, that may we be a people that respond fully. May we be a people that aren't caught sleeping. Daddy, I pray over our nation today. I'm asking, God, that you would draw your holy lovers out of seclusion, out of places of comfortability. I'm asking, God, for you to ignite a fire in your people that you wake her up from her slumber. Wake her up, oh God. Wake her up, God. I pray that there would be a sense of urgency on your people, that they would hear the cry of your heart, that they would see, that they would look around and see and burn with the same passion that you burn for. So, Daddy, I'm asking today that this would be a marking day that whenever we encounter the things of the enemy, that we do it with vengeance and we do it with tenacity and we do it courageously. May we be a people that say we know our God and we know who we are and we do not shrink back. God, we say that we're willing to be your builders, your worshipers, your priests. It's a great honor. And so I ask tonight, today, that each person would receive a new call on their hearts. They would become more resolute in what their roles are. That we would not bend to pressure. That we would not be caught up in selfishness but we would be found burning for the one. Burning, burning, burning for the one. Burning, burning, burning for the one. So daddy, please forgive us for places that we got tripped up and we succumbed. We didn't overcome. We want to overcome. We want to overcome all the places. So we just say that we are your builders. We volunteer. We say, do it in us, oh God. 
So I thank you, Daddy, for what you're doing in this great nation and this people. And I thank you that we live a life that's higher than ourselves. We don't serve ourselves. We serve you, the Holy One. So thank you for your word. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the scriptures. God, thank you. What a gift. <laughs> what a gift. Thank you that a people lived so long ago that lived a life that we can live from, that we can gain their pain, what their pain caused. We can gain what their experiences were. Thank you. What a gift. We don't take it lightly. May we have a new reverence for you. May we have a new reverence for what you did for us, Jesus. May you burn brightly in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from One Life OK. For more information, please visit us at onelifeok.com. Okay